All right. Good morning, guys. Welcome to Trailhead Church. My name is Steve. I am the lead pastor, and um, we are continuing in our series called God Is, where we are looking at uh, Psalm 145 and unpacking who God is and how that frees us. Before we dig in, um, next week we are going to be taking that special offering, um, and want to let you know that that is in addition to our normal offering. We'll be taking it at the end of the service, and that offering is going to be going to Kara's house and to our ability to send uh, people on short-term missions over the course of the summer. So those are kind of the two buckets that this special offering is going to. So I encourage you to really pray about it. Ask God how He would have you to be involved. Um, Trailhead Church is the number one outside church, outside of the journey, um, of people who actually get biblical counseling. So like we send more people to Kara's house than any other church in the St. Louis region. Um, and that's not a sign that we're more jacked up. I think it's actually a sign that um, we're more engaged with the gospel. I'm just going to say it. I think, I think we have people going deep. And as we go deep, sometimes we realize we need um, to walk with somebody, to unpack some deep, hard stuff in light of the gospel. And so we love that ministry. We believe in it. Um, our long-term mi- uh, vision is ultimately to partner with Karis House, to have a Karis House East on this side of the river. Um, and we have been laying the groundwork and working toward that for the last four years. And um, Lord willing, we'll continue to uh, be able to foster this, this great partnership. So pray about that. Pray about how God would have you be involved um, in the special offering next week. If you can't do it next week, we will be receiving gifts through the end of the month. Um, and so just, just pray about it, right? Second thing um, is last week I asked everyone to pray. Before both services, I asked you guys to pray because we were, I mean, we've been, been negotiating at a building for the last six months. I have news, but I can't share it with you um, because I want to share it with the members first. And, and, um, and so here's the thing. I do have news. And if you remember, you want to come to the Covenant Family Gathering today. Let's just say that, okay? Uh, and then after that, we'll, we'll be pushing news out more formally and publicly, all right? Grab your Bibles. Let's go to Psalm 145. If you don't have a Bible, grab one off the floor around you. We're going to be going to page 524, 525 in, uh, in our Bibles. Um, Psalm 145. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at um, these truths. We call them the four Gs. Um, and uh, that makes it just kind of easier to remember. Um, but we looked at the fact that God is great so I don't have to be in control. We looked at the fact that God is gracious, so I don't have to hide or prove myself. Last week, we looked at this idea that God is glorious, so I don't have to build my own kingdom or be afraid of losing it. Today, we're going to be looking at um, this truth that God is good. God is good. And because God is good, I don't have to seek satisfaction elsewhere, and I can rest in Him. So that's where we're going this morning. Let's take a look at Psalm 145. I want to open with verses 1 and 2 again, because that is the header to the psalm, basically sets the tone for the entire psalm, right? Uh, David says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Just to reiterate, what we see going on in these verses is David is saying his heart is responding to God. Right? I looked at God, and my heart is responding to God, but I also choose to do these things on a regular basis to shape my heart. Right? So it's a response of my heart and a determination to shape my heart. Right? So jump down to verse 14. The Lord upholds all who are failing or falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you. 
and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. The word of the Lord. All right, to kick us off this morning, I actually want to show you um, the fourth video in the series. Each week we've been taking a look at these. These videos come from one of our sister churches in the Acts 29 network, uh, Soma in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, So let's go ahead and watch this video. I'm Stacy, and this is my story. I grew up distrusting people, feeling worthless and overlooked. And then I met John, and um, we were polar opposites. I really tried to be good my whole life. I stayed out of trouble, and he partied, and he had girlfriends, and um, was nothing like I thought my husband should be. But God led us to get married, and um, very early on, the enemy got in there and brought up some things from John's past that caused me to struggle like crazy. I was suddenly bound by fear and shame and uh, believed the lies that if we kept it secret, then that was better. Um, Within those lies, too, was the thought that God wasn't good. that if God really was good, he would have equipped me to handle this. Um, That if I was supposed to marry John and God was good, then God would have allowed me to be gracious and kind and be the wife that John needed. We started kind of living in isolation because of the fear and the shame and we didn't live life with people. Six and a half years later, John told me he was done. He was done with God he was done with me, that uh, things weren't going the way that he thought they were supposed to, and he wanted out. And so eight months ago, the person that I trusted the most, the person that I gave my entire life to, the person who made me feel worthy, was gone. I had started looking to John to fulfill everything for me. He became my God, and that's not something that he could bear any longer. And so he left. And when he physically left, Jesus showed up and his presence was tangible. Um, And he showed me that I have worth not because of John, but because of him. That I'm protected, not because John is around, but because Jesus is there. Um, There was one day I was washing dishes and I was thinking about Hosea. And just wondering why this obscure marriage was in the Bible. And um, God made it very clear to me that Hosea and his marriage with Gomer was me and John. And ultimately was Jesus and the church. That Gomer leaves Hosea time and time again, um, looking after things that she thinks is going to fulfill her. And he pursues her. He buys her back. And the pain that I was feeling in wanting to pursue John, wanting to reconcile our relationship, God showed me he does it to me and to everyone else time and time again, day after day. We continue to search for 
things that we think are going to fulfill us that are just shadows of what we already have in Christ. And God loves us, and He endures the pain of us leaving. He longs for us to return and just come back so He can restore that relationship. And even though my relationship with John isn't restored, God is so good. Because He's shown me that with John gone, that God is all that I need. I don't have to look elsewhere. Stacy obviously has a hard story, and you can just, I mean, that, that video breaks my heart because you can just sense, I mean, she is so close to the event, and it is still incredibly painful to her, right? She's only eight months out from her divorce when she sat down and, and opened up her heart um, to share her story, right? And I think, honestly, as we listen to her words, you can hear somebody who's really just starting to come to understand the events that have taken place and starting to put a narrative around it to help her ultimately unpack it and understand it. And I think some of the things that, that we heard there are going to evolve, and, and she's going to come to a full understanding. But, but here's the one thing that, that I loved out of this. As I listened to her unpack her story, and you could see her face light up when she shared it, was this. There was a beautiful realization in the pain that when there was nothing left but Jesus, she realized He was all she needed. That there was a sense when, when everything that she had been leaning on and depending on so much was taken away from her, for the first time she realized that he was, in fact, what she really needed, and she could rest in him. And you guys, that's kind of where we're going this morning, right? Because God is good, we can rest in him. Because God is good, we can be satisfied in him. And that's really what the end of our psalm is about, that passage that we read today, right? Take a look at verses um, 14 and 15. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. All right. Something that's a little bit weird here. I don't know if you're picking up on it, but you know, so far in this psalm, we've, we've been considering some pretty big ideas, right? We've been considering the, the greatness of God, His sovereignty, His power, and His kingdom over all things, right? We have, we have considered the, the glory of His kingdom, the surpassing greatness and beauty of His character and the way it's manifest in His kingdom and His kingdom on earth, right? And, and we've taken a look at His incredibly gracious nature, that even though he is a sovereign God, he is gracious and merciful, right? And now we come to this great culminating idea in the psalm, and what he says is, he gives me food. (laughs) I don't know, that's a little odd to me, right? He feeds me, right? He's got a great kingdom. He's all-powerful. He's all-glorious. He's bright and shining, and he feeds me, right? He gives me food. I mean, that's just so normal, right? So mundane, so simple, right? It's like, and here's a plate of food, right? What's going on here? All right, here's the thing, you guys. Obviously, I'm going to push into it. I think we're talking metaphorically. I think, I think the psalmist is, is not just speaking about physical food, right? He's talking metaphorically. 
It says, God gives us food in due season, which is a really weird way about feeding, talking about feeding somebody, right? Um, kids hungry, well, in due season, right? In due season. He, he's talking about this idea that, that God feeds us in due season, right? So we need to think a little bit about hunger, right? If we're going to unpack the metaphor, let's just get down to the basics. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to belabor the simplicity of it. Um, what is hunger and why is hunger, <laughs> Right here, like I've never thought about why is hunger. All right, good. Uh, so let's begin with what is hunger, right? What is, what is hunger? Um, hunger, very simply, is a need expressing itself and making itself known in our lives. A hunger is a need expressing itself and making itself known in our lives, right? The, the most obvious form of hunger that we all associate with and, 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 and know right off the bat is, is physical hunger, right? If I haven't eaten all day, I become hungry, right? And when I get hungry, I get hangry. Yes. Yes. Some of you know this, right? It's like, I'm sorry what I said last night. I was just hangry, right? Um, yeah, it's this grumpiness. This, it's out of sorts, right? We, there's something going on where we have a need that needs to be met. And when that need isn't met, our body starts revolting. Our body's like, I want this and I want it now, right? Hunger raises the urgency on something that's important. Food is always important, but it doesn't always feel urgent. Hunger raises the urgency on something that is important. It is my body saying, I need nourishment. I need energy to burn. I need protein to build muscles. I need minerals and vitamins to to rebuild and to stay healthy. I need amino acids for my brain to work, right? When I get thirsty... It's my body saying, hey, dude, you're like over 60% water. Don't forget the water, right? I, don't, I always forget the water, right? I eat, but I'm that dehydrated. You know, we don't realize, right? Our bodies need. And so when we become thirsty, it's our body saying, man, you're running low. It is a need expressing itself through discomfort. But it isn't just physical hunger. That's what I want you to see. We're not just talking about physical hunger, have you ever been lonely? What is loneliness? Loneliness is hunger. Loneliness is your soul expressing itself through discomfort, saying, I need community. I need friendship. I need companionship. I need love, right? When I get restless, what is that? It's hunger. It is my soul expressing itself through discomfort, saying, I need a challenge. I need something worthy of my occupation and focus. I need success. So when we're talking about hunger, what I want you to see is we're talking about something much deeper and much more profound, really, than simply your belly needing food, right? We're talking about our body, our human way of discovering our deepest needs. Because our deepest needs always express themselves through hunger. See, these things are always important. And when we ignore them, our body is designed, our entire, our soul is designed to make what is important 
urgent. And it makes it urgent by creating a sense of discomfort that drives us towards satisfaction. Hunger points us to what we need. It's our body and soul's way of saying, hey, 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 I'm dying here. (laughs) I'm dying here, right? You need to feed me, right? These are things you need. So what is hunger? Hunger is discomfort that points us to a need. Hunger is our body's way, our human way of discovering our deep needs. So why do we hunger? That's a weird question. Um, You're like, we just do, man. What is this why thing? Well, here's the thing. It's not like we have to hunger, right? It's not like we have to. Evolutionary theory would argue that we hunger um, because that was a survival advantage, right? And because it was survival of the fittest, those who hungered tended to survive longer than those who didn't, (laughs) right? Those who didn't hunger just withered away and died because there was no internal mechanism to trigger to let them know when they had a need, right? Only creatures who hungered survived long enough to reproduce. Um, I would agree that it is a survival advantage. I don't agree that it is the only reason we hunger, Here's the thing. I would argue that hunger is actually designed in. God designed you to be hungry. God designed you to endure discomfort so that that discomfort could highlight for you your deep needs. God designed us to be hungry, not just to survive, but to discover why we were created to begin with. Take a look at verse 16. Take a look at verse 16. You, God, you open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. Um, That's a pretty remarkable statement. If you just consider the scope of what's being asserted here, this is a, a radically universal statement, right? You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. You open your hand, and every living thing finds its ultimate fulfillment in you. See, this could and probably does reference God's grace in creation, that when he created us with hungers, he also created us with a world that satisfied those hungers, right? Make sense? Right? God created us with a hunger for food, and he also created food. He created us with a hunger for drink, and he created drink. He, he created us with a hunger for community, and he gave us community, right? God created us with both the hunger and the, the fulfillment, right? And so this verse is talking about that, that common grace of God in creation, whereby the things that he's created <coughs> ultimately fulfill the hungers that he has created within us, right? And that's why, we, that's why we give thanks, right? We give thanks for our food, and we give thanks for our shelter, and we give thanks for our, our families, and, and we give thanks for um, all the things that He has given us. Why? Because, because God not only created us with a need, but He created the world with the solution for that need. But I think there's something else going on in this verse. I think there's actually something much deeper going on here. What He's saying, right? What he's saying is, is you satisfy the desire of every living thing. See, he's saying a whole lot more than just that he gives us the things that satisfy. He's saying that he is what satisfies. He himself is what satisfies. 
not just the gifts that he gives. He himself, not just food, not just water, not just friends. He himself satisfies. Now, what that means, you guys, is this. There is a hunger under all of our hungers. There is a deeper, more profound hunger than just the simple hungers that drive our behavior. And unless we feed that deeper, more profound hunger, we will never be satisfied. Right? The hunger under all of our hunger is a deeper and more significant need that is ultimately designed to be fed only by God and met only in Him. Right? God is good. So I can be satisfied in Him. I can rest in Him. So why do we spend so much of our time not satisfied? You ever asked yourself that? Why do I spend so much of my time unsatisfied? You ever been there? Am I the only one? You guys with me on this, right? It's like you got all the food you need. We're not dying, right? We live incredibly comfortable lives. Anybody who's traveled outside of the United States into third world countries know the level of of comfort and um, benefit of living in in a culture like ours is, I mean, we don't wake up every day wondering whether or not we're going to be able to find food to eat. We're not worried about whether or not our, food, our water is going to kill us today. We're not worried about, I mean, really, our, our biggest concern is whether or not all of our areas of comfort are going to remain as comfortable, right? Will my food be as good? Will my drink be as satisfying? Will it be the perfect temperature, right? Will, will my dishwasher work? so I don't have to wash them. You know what I'm saying? Like, like we spend so much of our time not satisfied, but we have so many things that are designed to satisfy us. What? Why? All right, you guys notice how this section in the psalm started for us? Take a look back up at verse 14. The Lord upholds those who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. This section begins with an assumption that we're in trouble. (laughs) This section begins not just with a focus on God's goodness, but on the fact that for whatever reason, we're not feasting on it, right? Why are we falling down? Why are we bowed down? When do you fall down? Like when I trip. Yeah, but, but take these two images together, falling down and being bowed down. When you're weak, Right? You fall down from exhaustion. You fall down from weakness. You fall down from a lack of sustenance. You are bowed down. There's the idea there is that, that there's this huge weight just on you that, that is so hard to carry. It is so exhausting. And the reality is if I think I could pull back the curtain on most of your lives, this is what I would find. You're tired. And you spend a lot of your time tired. You spend a lot of your time trudging, right? There's just not enough energy. There's just not enough joy. We are bowed down and we're falling. See, what happens when we don't eat? We get weak. We fall over. We are weak and bowed down like we're under a great weight. 
And we know this is true when it comes to food, right? There's, there's, uh, we all know that. I mean, it is about as obvious as it comes, right? When you get hangry, the next step is you just lay down on the couch and are grumpy because you don't have enough energy, right? It's just, it's just but, it, but it's also true of our deeper hungers as well, the, the deepest hungers of our soul. Um, in previous weeks... You want to grab for me? In, uh, in previous weeks, we've talked about some of these hungers, right? Um, we've talked about the, the hunger of... We good? One, two, one, two. Broadcasting. One, two, one, two. There we go. All right, we have talked about, in previous weeks, we've talked about some of these hungers. We've talked about the hunger of security. Right? We all hunger for security and control. We hunger for success. We, we hunger for approval. We, we hunger for meaning. But the need that is under every need, you guys, and I don't think there's any surprise here, the need that is under every need, our deepest need, our most powerful hunger, is for love. Is it not? That is the most profound and fundamental need in the human life. We need love. We need to love and we need to be loved. We need to cherish someone and to know that we are cherished in return. We crave love. And it is an insatiable hunger. It's insatiable. You know why? Because we were actually created for God's love. And God's love is infinite in its nature. It is boundless. It is never-ending. It is, it is unconditional. It is, it is so not human or at least not broken, sinful human love, right? We're used to love that is conditional. We have to, we have to measure up to it. We have to be pretty enough. We have to be handsome enough, smart enough, intelligent enough. We, we have to win people over, right? Our, our human experience of love is so conditional and so temporary and often so fickle and so limited and, and, and often so failing. We were designed to feast on the unfailing, unlimited, unending flow of the love of God. Our souls crave love, and it's an insatiable hunger. Since we were born separated from God, since we were born, theologically what we say is we were born in sin, which simply is a way of saying that we were born separated from the source of life, separated from God because of our parents' sin and because of our sin, right? We were separated because God is holy, and we're not. And because of that, we're born hungry. We are born driven. We are born compelled by hunger to try to satisfy a desire that ultimately can't be satisfied in any human experience. And ultimately, we don't know where this discomfort is coming from. We don't know why we're enduring this discomfort. We don't really know how to get to it or how to silence us, but it doesn't change the fact that that hunger is still there and it still drives us. And we are bowed down. And we are falling over in our need for love. But we can't see it. We don't understand it. And so instead, we just try to silence it. In 1906, Upton Sinclair wrote a novel called The Jungle, as an English teacher, I had uh, the great privilege of, of teaching this. It was a lot of fun. Um, it is about the, uh, the season of industrialization of uh, the meatpacking industry, and it follows the story of the lives of, of these immigrants 
who are um, brought to Chicago to work for the meatpacking industry. They need many, many people to work in these factories in order to run it. And they need cheap labor to ultimately produce a cheap product that allows them to get an advantage in the market and ultimately increase their, their market share. Um, this novel was designed ultimately to highlight the plight of the worker. It was designed by Upton, Upton Sinclair to, to get people to identify with and, and really think about the culture we were building through this capitalistic urge to make everything a commodity. Right? Not just the things we sell, but the people who work to sell them. Right, The, the workers themselves were a commodity. And as long as supply uh, outran demand, as long as there were more workers than, than there was demand for workers, they could pay them low. They could treat them poorly. They could even let them die because there were so many more workers than they needed. They, they, they could basically abuse them. Right? What ended up happening, though, is, is the country didn't focus on the plight of the workers. They were appalled by the description of the meatpacking industry itself. Right? They read this, and they were like, holy cow, that's what I'm eating? That's what's going on? Like People are cutting off their fingers, and it's going in the sausage? People are falling into the rendering pots, and they're not doing anything about it? And, and it's so unclean and unhealthy. So what they freaked out about was not the abuse of the people, but the way their food was not healthy enough. Um, this actually ended up triggering the government to respond reluctantly, um, and they ended up producing a, a, an oversight committee um, funded by taxpayers to basically monitor the safety of food. This later developed into the FDA. Um, the reason we have the FDA today is, is because of this. Now, his novel was brutal. It described the inhumane conditions in which people had to work, the abuse of women and children, and, the ultimate, and ultimately what happens when you treat humans as commodities, right? You just take them into account as a, an economic factor, and ultimately try to get as much profit out of them as possible in the same way they were treating the animals that were running through the factories. They were a cheap, renewable resource. Now, here's the thing. In an effort not to waste anything, this is one of the things out of the novel that has always stuck with me. In an effort to waste nothing and to maximize profit, at the end of the night, the workers would basically take these large brooms and squeegees and push everything through a hole in the floor. Whatever was on the floor, right, the discarded parts that were, that were unhealthy <laughs> and cut off because they were, they, were, they were diseased or because they were just pieces that were unusable in any other um, thing, um, the, the rope, um, the sawdust from the continual construction, they, they would push it all through a hole. It would go down into a vat, and it would be rendered and made sausage. So they, they would make sausage basically from everything. Some of you look, are like, man, this is really appealing, Steve. Um, well, here's the thing. It was the cheapest food they produced. It was the cheapest food they produced. And as a result, the immigrant workers who were living in the housing they provided cheaply, because it was right next to the factories, um, ended up eating this food because it was the only thing they could afford. The problem was it had very little nutritional value. I mean, it really was like eating sawdust. It filled their bellies, but it didn't feed their bodies, right? And so these workers were slowly starving to death, even as they worked to try to afford to feed their families. It would satisfy their hunger, but it would leave their true need unmet. You guys, this is us. This is us. We are hungry, but we don't know how to feed the hunger. 
We, we feel this discomfort, this drive, this restlessness, this unsettledness that is meant to drive us to the love of God. And instead of actually feeding it with the love of God, we are trying to silence it. We are trying to um, mollify it, to quiet it by feeding it everything but the love of God. So we feed it whatever seems to dull the pain, whatever seems to quiet the need. And this hunger drives us. It drives us to distraction. It drives us to restlessness. So just a question for you. Where are you eating sawdust? Where are you trying to feed your hunger for God's love and goodness with things that aren't God? I've been asking myself that question this week and and kind of been um, looking in my heart. And I've seen a few things, (laughs) Um, most of them very unpleasant, uh, which happens when you look in your heart. Um, But one of the things that I found... Like, like, just weird things. I spend a lot of time doing this. Hour later. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, some of you are like, second nature, right? I'm on my phone, and I'm looking at Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, and I'm, I'm so bored. Just bored. It's like, something stand out to me, please. That was a boring update. That's a stupid thing to say. That's another stupid BuzzFeed list. You know what I'm saying? Like, what is that? Why would I spend an hour scrolling through things that are incredibly mundane and stupid and boring? You're like, dude, that was my Facebook update. I'm sorry, yours was wonderful. Yours was wonderful. I loved looking at the pictures of your kids again. I, I loved looking at the pictures of your food again. You know what I'm saying? Like, I get it. I'm just being playful. I, 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 I like Facebook. I, you guys think, why do you hate it so much? I don't. I'm just telling you that, that I have found in my, my experience that, that that's a distraction. That's an area of restlessness for me. I don't go there because I'm, 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 there's something I need. I don't go there because there's something that really feeds my soul. I go there because there is a restlessness within me that I want to quiet. There's something that's making it really hard for me in that moment just to be in my skin, to be quiet and with myself and with God. And so I go there. I don't know about you, but that's something I've been looking at, right? When I'm doing that, I'm eating are you catching what I'm saying? Are you getting the metaphor? When I'm doing that, I am eating. I am, I am trying to feed a discomfort in my soul that is arising from an unmet need. And I am feeding it with something that does not meet that need. So it may quiet the hunger, but it doesn't give me nutrients. And as a result, I will fall. I will stumble. I will be bowed down. If I continue to feed myself with things that do not meet the genuine needs of my soul, I'll just wilt. Right? So what about you? You ever find yourself eating, like physically eating when you're not hungry? What's that about? Right? I'm so full, I'll take another bite. Right? I've eaten more cake than ever. Give me another piece. Right? Why do we do that? Why, why do we eat when we're not hungry? What is that? 
Is it possible that we're actually trying to feed a deeper hunger that can't be satisfied with food? You ever shop for things you don't need? Right? You ever shop for things you don't need? You're like, dude, I totally needed that. Right? Totally needed it. Well, then why haven't you looked at it since you bought it? Right? Or why haven't you looked at the thing you had identically to it that you just replaced that's now sitting on the shelf? You know what I'm saying? Like, why do we shop for things we don't need? Why do we, why do, we do that? I'm telling you, it's because there's a hunger. There's a hunger, a deep hunger that creates this restlessness. Right? You ever overindulge in things that are good to the point that they're no longer good? You're like, this is a great meal. I think it was. Right? It's like foodies eat so much wonderful food, they get to the point that they're bored with their wonderful food. They sit down to, oh, this is another great meal. Again. Right? So what do we have to do? We have to go find a new great meal, something I haven't tried before. Right? I heard there's a new restaurant 500 miles away that serves this incredible pate that I've never tried. Right? So we're continually looking for, for new things to spark the wonder because the hunger's not being fed and what we're feeding it with can never feed it anyway. There's an older woman that um, I went and served with um, just helping her clean her house. She was sick and older. And we went to clean out her house and her house was filled, filled, literally filled with boxes from QVC. Unopened boxes. She bought two to three things of everything. So when something caught her attention, she thought, oh, that's wonderful. And, and I think it would probably, Bob would probably like it and Mary would probably like it. And so I'll just buy a few extras. And, and she bought these things. And literally, I'm, I'm trying to find my way through her house. And, and there are boxes of medicines and boxes of vitamins and boxes of computers and boxes of, of things I don't even know how to describe. I mean, just boxes and boxes and boxes. What is that? Why would this lonely woman sit in her home and spend all of her life savings on things she doesn't even open? You guys, let's be honest. She's not doing anything that we don't do. We have a deep hunger that we are trying to fill with things that can't fill it. The serial dater who moves from relationship to relationship, they are in love with the initial flush of love. And as soon as the relationship moves into a state where, where you actually get to, get to know somebody and they have to get to know you and you have to start doing the hard work of actually moving into love, they just get bored. They get distracted. They move to the next crush, romance to romance. You guys, the, the examples I could give you are endless. But all of this behavior, as nonsensical as it is, starts to make sense when we realize that there is a hunger under the hunger, that we are trying to fill a a hunger, meet a need with things that can't meet it. And so we become desperately more hungry, desperate for something to meet this deep need within us. You're trying to satisfy a deep soul hunger with things that simply can't do it, like eating sausage filled with sawdust, You're quieting your hunger, but you're not meeting your need. And so you get weaker, you get grumpier, you get meaner, you get more desperate. You become afraid, and you start to fail. 
in your desperation, you start consuming more and more with less and less satisfaction. Listen, you guys, because God is good, I can be satisfied. Because God is good, I can rest. So how do we feed this deep soul hunger? How do we deal with this compulsive behavior to consume what doesn't satisfy? Well, I got a couple things for you. First of all, identify where you're trying to satisfy your need for God's love, for God's goodness with things that aren't God. In other words, listen to your hunger. This is going to require you, by the way, to actually endure the discomfort a little bit. Instead of running from it, instead of just trying to quiet it, instead of trying to just satisfy it with the the next quick fix, right? For me this week, that meant turning off my phone, right? On my browser, I have a thousand tabs open, closing them all, but the one I actually need, right? It's basically me saying, no, I'm going to sit in the discomfort. Because here's the thing, you guys, hunger, that discomfort will serve you. What does hunger do? It points you to the place where you have a need. If you're constantly running from the hunger and constantly silencing the pain that comes with it, you're never listening to discover what it's trying to tell you. You need to increase your ability to sit in the discomfort, which means you're probably going to be a little grumpy. Okay? It's going to be hard. You need to know. It's not like you're going to be instantly spiritual and be like, oh, angels, right? No, it means you're probably going to feel like you're getting worse for a little while. You're not getting worse. You're just having to move into the area you've been desperately trying to stay away from, the area of pain and discomfort that you've been trying to quiet. Listen to your hunger, right? Listen to your hunger. Where are you driven to distraction? Where are you driven to dissatisfaction? Where do you have an ache that you're trying to quiet with food or success or pleasure or shopping or Facebook? Instead of trying to silence the hunger, listen to it. Instead of running from it, look at it. And then ask, where does it lead? In the process, what's going to happen is you're going to be exposing a lie that you believe. That God's not good. So you have to find satisfaction outside of him. You're going to be exposing a lie. Where are you running from, God? Where are you saying, God, you're not good? So I have to go to these other places to find rest. I can't tell you what that's going to be for you. I can tell you that God will show it to you. And when he does, you're going to be given the opportunity to move into repentance. Repentance is a wonderful biblical word that very simply means rejecting the lie that's controlling my behavior so I can embrace the truth that frees me. A lot of times people talk about repentance as a U-turn of behavior, right? You were going one way, you stop, you go the other direction. And I think that's a very simplistic and often misleading definition of repentance. Repentance will change your behavior, but repentance isn't about your behavior. It's about your beliefs. The Greek word metanoeo literally means a change of the mind. Repentance is where God, in his grace, allows us to see the lie that is driving us and destroying us so we can be freed into the truth that will ultimately allow us to move to health. And into all of his goodness, right? So, so looking at this will allow us, right? For Stacy, 
the girl in our, the woman in our video, she had the hard realization that, that she was basing all of her worth on her relationship with her ex-husband. She looked to him to validate her existence, to make her worthwhile. She looked to him to be her ultimate good. And, and as he failed to do so, she became more desperate in her need. And when he left her, it left her completely exposed. When he couldn't or wouldn't, she was left with a crisis of hunger a crisis of a need that needed to be met, but she could no longer run to the source that she was looking to, to, to feed it. And it was in that crisis that she found her soul's true hunger. Her soul's true hunger was for the love of God. Her soul's true hunger was only secondarily for the love of her husband. It was primarily for the outpouring of the love of God. And, and, and as she discovered where her hunger actually led, it, it, it allowed her to pursue that hunger into the actual source that could satisfy it. Here's the thing, you guys. I'm going to tell you this. I want you to kind of think about it. If you're not hungry for God, if you're not hungry for prayer, if you're not hungry for his word, if you're not hungry for community, if you're not hungry for God, that's because you're satisfying that appetite with something else. Satisfy is too strong of a word. <laughs> you, are, you, are, you are nullifying that appetite. You are quieting that appetite. You, you, are, you are satiating that appetite by eating something else. And whatever it is, it's not going to give you life. Your deep soul's need is for communion with God, to love God and be loved by God to experience the presence of God, the delight of God, to sit in the radiant sunshine of God's love. You were designed for that. If you don't crave it, it's because you are filling that appetite with something else. You are distracting it and trying to kill it with something else. And you are growing weaker and weaker. Because needs are needs, not wants. You can't negotiate on a need. As much as your body needs food, your soul needs God. So first of all, follow your appetite. Listen to your hunger and see what it reveals to you. Secondly, you need to believe God's promise, right? You need to feed your hunger with God instead of dulling it with the stuff God made. We need to believe that, that God is good. We need to not just reject the lie, which is God doesn't love me and I have to do these things in order to feel good about myself. We need to believe the truth and remind ourselves of it daily. Like David said at the beginning of our psalm, right? I will do these things as an outflow of response to him, but also as a determination to shape my heart toward him. Consider these verses and consider the, the incredible promise that is in them. This is from Psalm 34. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. All right, just listen for a minute. This is God speaking through the psalmist. How incredibly humble for the God of the universe, the ultimate source of love, to just say, will you just taste? Will you just stop running long enough to taste? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. That's a satisfaction of hunger. The young lions suffer want and hunger. In other words, in their strength, they are weak. They are driven. 
by a hunger that they cannot satisfy. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Taste and see that the Lord is good. See, what ends up happening is, is as we taste, in other words, as we actually quiet the distraction, stop filling our minds and our pursuits with all of these things that are just satiating the appetite, as we move into the discomfort of our need for God's love and allow that discomfort to awaken within us a, a, a desire to move into his presence, a need to move into his presence, what he's saying is, I will meet you in that need. And as you taste and see, I will then shape your appetite so that you want more. I will sanctify your appetite. I will give you a greater and greater desire for the good that truly satisfies. And I will free you from your addiction to distraction. I will free you from your addiction to those things that you are simply consuming to quiet the hunger, but don't satisfy. You'll desire less of the sawdust of life, and you will desire more of the glory of God. God is good. God is good. What's beautiful about this is God isn't just good because he satisfied my appetite. He is good because he is intrinsically good. He's not just good because I need him. He is good because he loves me. And for some of you, you may be wondering, is God good for me? Will he love me? Will I find that welcome? I know what I've done. I know who I am. I know what's been done to me. Will I find that welcome? Listen to verses 17 through 19 in closing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near all who, what, measure up? All who perform, all who are perfect, the Lord is near all who call on him. In other words, all who actually listen to their hunger and cry out for the hunger to be satisfied in him. To all who call on him in truth, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. And he hears their cry and he saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. You're either going to try to satisfy your needs in God or outside of God. You'll either try to feast on his goodness in which God will meet you there and invite you into that goodness, or you're going to feast yourself on things that can't meet that need, and he will let you. And the end of that path is destruction. God is good, you guys, so you can rest and be satisfied in him. As we move into our time of response, um, I'm going to remind you, we have worship response cards in our bulletin. We would love for you to share with us any prayer requests you have, any thoughts, feedback, comments, questions. You want to meet with somebody, let us know. We'll be happy to sit down and meet with you. If you're a first-time guest, uh, we would love for you to fill that out and drop it in um, one of the boxes. Let us know you were here. Um, we have a gift for you out at Connection Point. Just swing by there. We'd just like to honor you for, for, for visiting and, and say thanks. Thanks for, for, for hanging out with us this morning. Okay? Um, we're going to share communion in a moment, but before we do, we're going to move into a time of response. And this morning, um, I'm going to do something a little bit different than our typical response questions. Um, we're going to do a blessing, and we do this occasionally here at, at Trailhead. And, and when I do a blessing, um, this is something that, that I kind of adapted from a trip that I took to Kyrgyzstan when I visited a, a church planting team we had on the ground there. And, and I just watched that culture, and there were some beautiful pieces of it. 
And so we're going to just adopt it for, for our use. So this is the way we do it. If you're new with us, it's a little bit weird, but that's okay. Everybody else is doing it too, so it makes it less weird. Um, if you're not a believer, I'm really glad you're here, and you may be uncomfortable with this. You, you may be like, I don't know if I want to do this. You don't have to. Okay, you don't have to. You can just sit and enjoy it, um, and, and that's fine. Okay, But this is the way we do it. We, we cup our hands like this in our laps. And that's basically just a very physical, symbolic way of saying, I want this blessing, right? I want this blessing. And, and I love it because I, I always cup my hands like incredibly tight. Like I don't even want to miss a drop of it. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't want any of it to leak out. I want this blessing. And you're just going to listen as I speak this blessing over you. And as we get to the end, what I'm going to say is, and all God's people said, and we're all going to say amen together. The word amen means let it be, or it is true, okay? It's a way of saying this blessing is mine in Christ. This blessing is mine because Jesus paid the price for me, and and, and it is mine because he gives it to me. And then we wash it over us as a way of saying this is mine. It is my identity. It covers me, okay? All right, so let's cup our hands and and just kind of lower your, your, your heads, And I'm going to read you some verses out of Zephaniah 3 and just unpack a few things. It says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. The first thing that delights our souls, you guys, is that the God... God has taken away the judgment against us in Christ. He lived the life you should have lived and died the death you deserve to die. He was your substitute, and he satisfied God in regard to your sin. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you, and he has cleared away your enemies. The biggest debt you've ever had, your sin, it's gone. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, to you, fear not, O child. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Now listen to this. He will rejoice over you with gladness. That word for rejoice is incredibly strong. God is not just mildly interested in you. He dances over you, over your repentance, over your turning back to him to have your deepest desires met in him. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will hold your hand and speak to your fear. He will put his arm around you and comfort you, and hold you, and love you, and speak to the deepest part of your soul that he delights in you, that he loves you. He will exult over you with loud singing. He will sing his love for you. This is the kind of God we serve. This is the kind of God who offers you the invitation, oh, taste and see. 
As we see his love, it gives us the courage to see our sin. As we see the invitation of his acceptance, it gives us the courage to let go of these things that we are feeding ourselves with to feed on him. So let's do it. And all God's people said, amen.